Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today, my guest is a man named Mike Schmitz. Mike is the host of two podcasts. One is the Free Agents podcast. The other is the Bookworm podcast, where every two weeks he breaks down a popular self-help or business book with his co-host. And it's kind of like a virtual book club. I highly recommend you check it out. He's also the author of a book called Thou Shalt Hustle, and more recently is working on a video course called Faith-Based Productivity. He's a productivity master. In this episode, we discuss cultivating the habit of reading, common mistakes that people make when developing that habit, and we also touch on many valuable insights from different books he's read over the years. And I'm sure no matter who you are or where you're at in life, you'll find some gold in this episode. So please, without further delay, enjoy this episode with Mike Schmitz. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thrilled to be here. Awesome. And so uh, for the audience, would you mind uh, sort of telling them about, you know, your, what you do right now, sort of, and how you got started doing it? Sure. Well, the thing that probably is most relevant for this audience is I am a podcaster. I've got two podcasts. One is Bookworm, which is kind of like a podcast book club I do with a friend of mine, Joe Bulig. Every two weeks, we read a self-help or a productivity business type book and then hop on the mic and, and talk about it. Uh, and I also co-host the Free Agents podcast, which is shortly going to be re- rebranded uh, with David Sparks, known to the internet as Max Sparky. Uh, I've also created courses and things for a long time. I've worked for the last couple of years with Asian Efficiency, recently left there, and now am working on a course called Faith-Based Productivity. So it's kind of the the uh, spiritual why behind all the productivity things, which for me is a really big deal. That's awesome. I'd love to dive into that. But first, I want, I want to understand, sir, which podcast did you start first? Uh, good question. So probably me being involved with the Asian Efficiency Podcast, which I am no longer the host of, but I was hosting the productivity show for quite a while. And that podcast, uh, I took it over about episode 115. Now it's on like 250. And it grew quite a bit. We actually, I say we, because I was part of the team that helped it uh, break 5 million downloads. So a great podcast by a great team. Um, and that's the one that we kind of, that was my entry into the, the podcasting space. Although when we started it, I was basically the technical person. I was doing the editing, figured out all the WordPress stuff, how to publish it, things like that. There was another guy who was doing the, the hosting. He left the, the uh, Asian efficiency team to go do his own thing. We were kind of in a crisis moment. Uh, Tan, the CEO, uh, asked me, what should we do? And I said, well, I think maybe I can do this podcasting thing. Let me give it a shot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was really my my first entry into podcasting. Uh, once we started that one, I did Bookworm with Joe just as an accountability thing. I read the statistics somewhere that said that the thing that separated the really successful CEOs from everybody else was the fact that they read 24 books a year or basically a book every couple of weeks. 
I'm like, Hey Joe, we both want to read more books. Let's hold each other accountable and, and do this, you know? So, uh, through that podcast, I got connected with you. That's also how I got connected with uh, David Sparks. He was a, a listener. And then, um, when his co-host left free agents, he asked me to come on. So kind of a, a long explanation there, but, uh, really the thing I want to communicate is that you don't need to necessarily have in your mind this picture of, I want this podcast or this thing that I'm going to do. I want it to be this big thing because you can have a picture of where you want to end up a couple of years from now, but it's going to be different. It may be better, but it's going to be different. As you progress, the only thing that becomes clear is what the next step is. And so I've found myself making small pivots several different times in my career. And when I look back, I can see how all of those things got connected, got connected. All those dots got connected where if you would ask me when I started working with the, the productivity show, do you think you're ever going to co-host a podcast with David Sparks, who I consider one of my internet heroes? I'd be like, no way. There's no chance I'm going to be on a podcast with that guy. But here we are. Man, I love that story. That's really awesome. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. What year was it that you started? I think we launched the Productivity Show in 2015. We launched it at the beginning of the year. And we did daily episodes for the month of January. And then after that, it switched to a, a weekly podcast. We made a, a lot of mistakes along the way, but uh, I've learned from them, you know, and we, the big thing is just don't repeat them. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's a, one of the books that I read, which really impacted me was mindset by Carol Dweck. And she talks about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. The fixed mindset believes that you've got a certain amount of talent or ability that you're, you're born with. And whenever you encounter an obstacle with a fixed mindset, it's kind of a slap in the face. So you're not good enough and you, you get upset and you react. But the growth mindset, whenever they encounter something that's a challenge or an obstacle, they view that as a stepping stone to their progress. It's, it's one obstacle that they have to overcome, but they know they can overcome it. And then once they've overcome it, they don't have to make that mistake anymore. They can move on to the next thing. And that's really the key, I think, uh, for, for anything in life. Whatever your goals happen to be, whether they be personally or professionally, is to consistently develop your own abilities. Cal Newport, you know, so good they can't ignore you. That's another really impactful book that I've, I've read. And I've kind of taken that to heart. Just you're going to encounter obstacles. You're going to encounter things that are going to be, they're going to appear to be roadblocks on your success journey, but just keep working on yourself. Keep working to keep developing your own abilities. Eventually you're going to overcome that, that roadblock. You're going to figure out the, the next thing. And eventually you'll get so good. They can't ignore you. <laughs> mm -hmm. and that's when, that's, that's when things are really exciting and doors really start to open. That's really awesome. I love that advice there. What are, are there any, uh, sort of mistakes that come to mind that, you know, if looking back, you know, you may, you're glad you made them, but you know, you could probably help other people avoid those same mistakes some early on. Yeah. Well, one mistake I'm learning from right now with the faith-based productivity stuff, because I, uh, I've had this in my heart to do this course for the last couple of years and I've kind of been dragging my, my feet on it. And so I'm kind of in this quote unquote crisis moment right now where I'm no longer with the Asian deficiency team. What's my next thing going to be? And it's that crisis that's kind of forced me to go all in with this thing. <laughs> and uh, I haven't officially launched it yet as we're recording this, but uh, in the early indication signs are really positive that this is going to meet the need for a lot of people. Other people are really excited about it, been really encouraged by a lot of people who have gone through some of the material. And uh, I would say like my mistake there was I had this thing as a back burner project, a quote unquote passion project. 
And it was almost like talking about it or believing that I could do that someday was enough. So don't just talk about the thing, do the thing, <laughs> get in the arena. You know, you're going to succeed, you're going to fail, but failure isn't the, the worst thing. Failure is just showing you the way that it's not going to work. And then you make a modification and you, you try again. Um, that would be one of the, the big mistakes I would, I would say. And then the other, other thing I would say uh, without getting too specific, because I think it can apply to a lot of different situations is uh, don't settle for being comfortable. Uh, whenever I have gotten stuck in my life, and that happened before I got connected with the Asian deficiency team, if I'm honest with myself, I think it kind of happened while I was there. Uh, you get comfortable with the way things are and you have trouble envisioning anything better, but there is something better out there if you're willing to put forth the effort to, to achieve it. It's kind of like this picture of your ideal future or that sounds kind of too aspirational. Like I'll just wish this thing into existence. So the term I like to use is kind of like designing the life you want to live, but there's a lot of power in that. So don't just settle for the way things are. I mean, you, you, there's a gratitude element of that too. So you're not upset because you're not where you think you should be. You're content, but you're not complacent. You know, you're constantly looking for how can I improve? How can I get better? Jim Rohn said it this way, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've really internalized that. And I think that's, that's uh, essential for just about anybody. I agree a hundred percent. That's, uh, I love Jim Rohn too. Uh, when did you first, or what was the first self-help book that you read that sort of uh, maybe brought you down this pathway to towards wanting to read more? Probably getting things done, which is interesting because I remember when I read it, it was kind of this revelation that there was this system and he clearly articulated all the pain points I was feeling, all the stress I was under. And I remember walking away from it the first time I read it thinking, this is amazing. Uh, this is going to completely change my life. <laughs> and it kind of did because it got me into the, the productivity world and down that, that, that road. But it's interesting because it's actually the first book that Joe and I did when we started Bookworm. We went back and we revisited it and I didn't like it at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and my perspective just in, for clarification is that I, the, the system that he presents, I see a lot of holes with now, at least for me personally, but that's kind of true of any system. And that's kind of a danger, I think, in the self-help space is there's a lot of people selling these systems like all you got to do is X, Y, Z and triple your productivity or get back X hours per day. And it's really not that, that simple because everybody's situation is a little bit different. Really, the important thing is understanding the principles and then applying those to your specific situation. So long way of answering, but getting things done was definitely the, the thing that really got me down, down this path. That's awesome. When, before you read getting things done, did you have a habit of reading? Not really. Um, I had read a little bit, uh, growing up, I, I, I like to read a lot. And then basically high school and college, I only read when I had to, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I was working for the family business and I was feeling a little bit of pressure because there's always more things that you've got to do than you've got time to do. So I was looking for I was looking for things that I could use to eke out just a little bit more efficiency and alleviate some of the pressure. And so that's when I read Getting Things Done. And I kind of dabbled. I read a couple books, but I knew that there was a lot more out there that I wanted to read than I was actually creating time to read. I was only reading a couple books a year at that point. Uh, I did start to pick up my reading habit a little bit more consistently. Uh, I was going to the library and I was checking out basically every 
every book in the productivity section, business section I could get my hands on. <laughs> some mm-hmm. of them I read, some of them I didn't. You know, uh, I, I recognized as I read those that some of them really spoke to me and I had no trouble finishing those. Others were just really, really hard for me to read. And so I didn't, I didn't complete them. And I struggled with that for a long time. I felt that was kind of an, a vindiction against me. You know, my character is that, oh, I can't even finish this, this book. You know, and when that happens, you get discouraged and then you don't want to read anymore. Um, then I came up across that statistic. I had known Joe, got introduced to him through Asian Efficiency. We had talked about how we wanted to start reading more. And uh, he reached out to me uh, about the same time I was thinking the same thing. He said, hey, we should do a podcast together. Any ideas what it could be about? And I'm like, well, what do you think about this book club idea? <laughs> and he liked it. And that's really been the thing that's kept me going now. And that's actually even evolved. So we read a book every couple of weeks, but we've even got a lot of times gap books in between. So I've got, um, I'm reading basically a, a book a week. Uh, that was helped with Asian efficiency because they had such an emphasis on personal growth that I could actually expense books to the company because mm-hmm. Tan, Tan believed that as I grew as, a, as an individual and as a person that the quality of the stuff that I was writing about and podcasting about because I was writing for the, the blog as well and creating the courses like I've got more dots to connect now. So the quality of everything that I do and everything that has the company's name on it is going to, going to go up. So I uh, definitely saw that that gave me a lot of confidence to, to keep going. And if I hadn't had that track record at the place that I'm at now, you know, it maybe would be hard to, to keep going, but you can kind of see in the, the video here, but I've got like a, a huge bookshelf over here. Let's see if I can. Yeah, there's my, my bookshelf in my office. So I've got, a bunch of these books now and, and I've, I've read most of them, not all of them, <laughs> mm-hmm. but at this point I'm addicted. <laughs> of course. Right. I, I found myself in a similar situation. I love what you did where you uh, sort of created the pressure to read by starting the podcast, but there's something that you, you noted there where you said uh, you didn't create the time previously. So what's your habit like now? When, when do you find the time to read? Cause I feel like that's probably, one of the bigger challenges for people is, you know, trying to fit it in their day. Well, one of the things that I think keeps people from reading when they quote unquote know they should is they don't see the connection between what they're reading and how it's going to help them right now. So one of my friends uh, told me one time that I should be picking out books to read that are going to solve a specific problem that I have. When you are reading a book that is addressing something that is wrong right now, you are much more incentivized to complete it (laughs) and apply it. (laughs) Um, So that would be one thing to create more time to read. Uh, You could also just make it a habit. I've gotten kind of into the habit now where instead of watching TV or playing video games, whatever, at at night, the, the light from the blue screen keeps me awake. So I turn stuff off and I try to read before I go to bed and it helps me transition to sleep a a lot, uh, a a lot smoother, a lot sooner, which is a big deal for me because when I was 18, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. So one of the things that can trigger a seizure is not getting enough rest. So I try to be very careful that I get enough rest and that I'm sleeping well when I, when I do sleep. Also the reading, it's a, it's a habit that helps avoid any uh, sort of health complications. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, is there any other time of day that you read? And, and the reason I ask that is because like for me personally, um, I always, when I was 
starting to try to read more books. I would try to read before bed and naturally fall asleep, you know, just yep, given, yep. especially if it's a book that you're having a hard time with. And so I've had to adjust to waking up early, reading it with coffee when I have the maximum brain power to process it, <laughs> uh, or else I won't be able to retain the information or, or, you know, get through a whole book. Is there any other time of day that you, that you sort of indulge in it or is it primarily at night? Well, I do different types of reading, I guess. Uh, I, as a Christian, have a habit of reading my Bible first thing in the morning. I don't use a physical book for that. I've got a group of guys at my, my church that we've got this accountability group. And so uh, we're all in that Bible reading plan together. And so I do grab my phone first thing when I wake up, but I don't have social media installed. I don't have email. I go straight to my Bible app and I, I do my, my daily reading there. Um, the other thing I would say regarding making reading a habit, like if you had a physical book and you brought it with you everywhere that you went, you will recognize that you have a whole bunch of pockets of time throughout your day where you do actually have time to read. And if you have, if you're carrying a physical book around instead of something on your, your, like a, even a Kindle, but even more so like on your, your phone, uh, if you pull out your phone with the intention to read, at least for me, you're going to go to social media or something else. You know, but when you have that physical book and you have 10 minutes while you're, you're waiting for your ride or whatever, uh, reading a couple pages, if you just did that over and over again, you'd be amazed at <laughs> how much time you actually have to read. So that would be the other thing that really made an impact for me, I think, was having that physical book. Uh, there's just something different about a physical book than a, a digital book. And there's a lot of advantages with digital stuff. I'm a digital guy. Um, I... I'm a tech native, you know, I, uh, I actually record screencasts for screencast online is one of my, my side gigs. So I'm not afraid of the, the technology or anything like that. But and in fact, when I take notes on my books, I use a program called MindNote. I actually have like this big mind map that I'm fleshing out as I'm, I'm reading. So when something jumps out to me, you know, I'll put like a, a key emoji and then the, the thought if I think it's a key idea or if it's an idea that I really like, kind of an inspiration for me, a little light bulb and then the thing. Uh, I'll create tasks or action items, like what I want to apply from the books that I read. So I use technology for all of that, but I find just having the physical book, turning the actual pages, and then being able to feel like how much you've got left, that's that's really motivating too. I agree 100%. I always like pinching the the last, you know, pinch of the book. <laughs> all right, here we go. Yep. Uh, I want to talk about what, what is a mind map? I've never heard of that before. All right, so uh, I can give you a link if you wanted to include one in the, um, in the, uh, the show notes for this, but let me just sure. pull one up here. So like one of the books that we covered for bookworm is called flow and we're recording this on video. I'm not sure if you're listening to it on video, but I'll just hold up like my screen here. So I've got like the picture of the book in the middle and then all of the different nodes, these are like the different chapters. So here's one on like the body inflow and the anatomy of consciousness, happiness revisited, and then all of my points and page numbers and things like all the quotes I want to remember are all nodes on, underneath that. So when you zoom out, you've basically got this like spider looking type diagram to break down how the, the book is constructed. And what that allows me to do is number one, when I'm reading the book and I'm jotting down the things that are standing out to me just the act of jotting them down means that I'm more likely to remember it. But also sure. if I wanted to go back in here and revisit this, like here's uh, a key diagram from the, the book when he's explaining like the, the whole concept of, of flow and you know, how much effort something takes versus how much enjoyment you get from it, stuff like that. 
Um, I can go back and, and if I wanted to revisit or review the contents of that book, I don't have to review it all. It takes me five, 10 minutes to go through that, that outline. And because it's digital, you know, I could search for specific terms if I wanted to. I can tap a button from there and export all the things that I've marked as action items into OmniFocus, my task manager, so I can follow up on them, make sure that I do them before Joe and I re-record the next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I just find it's a lot easier to organize information that way than a standard outline. That is incredible. And that's an app there, mind map. Yeah, that's so that that app is called mind node. Uh, Mind mapping is kind of an idea that I forget the person who came up with it. I think it was Tony Buzan or something like that. It's just a different way of of thinking. Uh, And actually, on my site, which is MikeSchmidt.me, I've got a newsletter. And when I was every book I read, I, I mind map like that. And for the newsletter, I I make those those mind maps PDF files and then send them out to subscribers. So if you want Cliff Notes versions of the books that I read, you can sign up for the newsletter and then they'll get emailed to you. That's fantastic. How how long does it usually take you to map out a book? It depends on the book. Some of them are really meaty, like flow. There's there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, some of them don't have a whole lot of information in there, uh, and that is because of my approach to it which is another mistake I think people make when they approach a book. I already mentioned like some people or I'm, I in the past would start reading a book and then feel like I didn't, it, my character wasn't good enough if I didn't you know, follow through and, and complete it. Um, but the other thing I think people make a mistake of is if they're good, they think if they're going to read the book, every book they read needs to change their life and they need to remember everything that the author says. And that's why a lot of authors, a lot of books have like the three different sections. They tell you what they're going to tell you. They tell you, and then they tell you what they told you in hopes that you'll retain some of it, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, uh, for me, I only write down the things that stand out to me. I'm not worried about trying to spit back on a test, everything that the author said in that book. Now for bookworm, maybe it's a little bit different. I do need to understand the basic structure of the book and talk about what I like, didn't like about the author's approach, stuff like that. But for most people, I would say, don't even worry about that. Just jot down the things that are important to you. But that really doesn't take me a whole lot of time. Usually when I'm reading a book, I'm, I'm reading the book itself. And then I'm, as stuff happens, or as I get different ideas and things, I'll pull up my phone and I'll, I'll jot it down quick. Um, I, over the time that I've been reading books, I've gotten quicker at reading them. So I would say an average book now, maybe 200 pages, it's going to take me six hours, six to eight hours, maybe to, to both read it and document that, that mind map file. Wow. That's awesome. Do you remember how long it took you, you know, maybe to read a 200 page book when you first started Forever. (laughs) Well, there were a lot of reasons for that. I think one of the big ones was that when I would start reading, I was, uh, the decision to read was completely based on how I felt at the moment and the motivation that I had to get through that book. Where now when I crack open a book and I'm going to read it, that's not really an issue. But for me at the beginning, that was really difficult. It's like, okay, I got to read. I got to read. All right, let's do this thing. You know, and if if you start reading and then you get interrupted, that's deflating. And now you sit down to read it again and you're like, ah, I just, I can't, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and then you get in there and you, you feel at the beginning, like you do need to completely understand everything the author is saying. So you forgot what they said five pages ago. So you're trying to flip back and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. Just forget this. 
Um, maybe bookworm has helped with that in a sense too, because we do rate the books that we read. Uh, and they're completely arbitrary ratings. I'm not a literary critic. <laughs> it's based on my my feelings of the book that I, I just read. But one of the things that that has allowed me to do is say, you know what? I don't like this book. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, it can be intimidating when you pick up a book like New York Times bestseller, 21 million sold, and then you don't like it. It's almost like, well, what am I not seeing that everybody else is seeing? What's wrong with me? <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but that's, that's, that's the wrong way to look at it. Uh, every book is going to speak to people. It's going to speak different things to people at different points in their lives. I mentioned the getting things done thing, you know, where I loved it the first time I read it, second time I went through it. I'm like, well, one of the big things I got when I read it the second time was like the, the discussion about the different tools and the things that he uses. And I, maybe I shouldn't have got caught up on that, but like, He's talking about all these things. And I'm just like, that is the absolute worst tool that you can use to accomplish what you just described. <laughs> it kind of like, like steals some credibility in my, in my head. You know? And yeah. so there's, there's a couple, couple things going on there. You could view that as like, well, he's David Allen. Who are you, Mike Schmitz? Like, what have you done? What, do you, what right do you have to question <laughs> the, the, the GT mm-hmm. guy? You know? But on the other hand, like, recognizing that those thoughts and those impressions are, are valid. You know, maybe not to David Allen. He probably doesn't care what I have to say, but <laughs> yeah, but it almost doesn't matter. You know, he wrote that book and it spoke to me at a specific season of my life. It did, it did specific things for me, but being okay with the fact that, you know, for me right now, this is not a good book and being able to say that, having the confidence to say that, uh, was a, was a hurdle I had to come over. Awesome. Uh, is there when you're reading, is there any criteria that, that sort of makes something stand out to you? Is there any particular reason why it would stand out to you more than other passages or other information in a book? Or is it, do you just go by, you know, when you're reading, it just sort of pops out of you, you know, or is there other meaning behind that around? Yeah. It? Well, I think there's a lot of different ingredients that you could describe to make a good self-help productivity business type book. Those are primarily, like I said, the ones that we read for, for bookworm mm-hmm. uh, the ones that I enjoy typically have personal stories attached to them. So it's not the author explaining this person over here did it this way, but more like I worked with this person and I saw this thing happen. Uh, those, uh, those I really like. Uh, I really like the ones that talk about the research so it's not just an idea, but they've invested some time to validate the idea, but not to the point where all they're talking about is the research. That's a skill I think that few authors have, <laughs> is being able to distill the research down to the main points. A uh, couple of examples. So Chris Bailey wrote a book called uh, Hyperfocus, which I really, really liked. And he did a ton of research, but he distilled the research down to the key ideas. Another book that we covered recently for Bookworm is Predictably Irrational by Dan O'Reilly. New York Times bestseller. You know, I would have been intimidated by that book before, but he talks a lot about the research that he actually did. And that book drove me nuts. <laughs> like, okay, I get it. You're, you're a researcher. So maybe if you're in that world, this is really interesting. But to me specifically, like I got the point 10 pages ago, you can stop talking about the process now. Let's, let's talk about what benefit this has for me as the reader going forward, you know? Um, I also think that there are authors that are very good teachers. 
So they will explain it in a way where it is easy to grasp. You don't have to have the background knowledge of that person's individual domain. Like Dan O'Reilly is a great example. I don't, I, I have no knowledge of what it takes to put together a research project. I'm familiar with a bunch of research projects because they've been brought up in multiple books that we see over and over and over again. But you know, the, your, your description of how you identified the ideas that you were going to test and the hypothesis you had as you worked with your control group, like that means nothing to me. Um, but not every researcher is like that too. Like Mihaly, uh, the guy who wrote Flow, I feel like he did a great job. Like he's, he's a researcher too. And he did tons of research and just about every book on focus or deep work or whatever written recently is going to reference his research. You know, but he does a great job of explaining this is the, the benefit from this research. This is how you apply this to your life. Main idea from that book, just uh, real quickly, is that what people really want is not a, um, an easy life, but what they want is a fulfilling life. There's got to be passion and purpose behind the, the things that you do. And in fact, at some point, not too high above the poverty level, the amount of money that you make really doesn't make you any happier. You know, that's a pretty radical idea. But if you spend 200 pages just talking about the research, <laughs> you can lose the power of that, that statement, you know? And so, um, Mahali is a great example of that. Uh, I think there's a lot of different things maybe that are going to speak to different people, but if I were to distill this, this down, it, it would be the ability to tell, tell a good story, the ability to understand what the research is telling you, and then the ability to teach that in a simple format to somebody that is actionable. The best books that I like are not the ones who explain this big idea and then you walk away and be like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. They're the ones that I know, okay, that was a great idea and this is how I can apply this to my life. I love that. I think that's very practical advice there. Well, what are your thoughts on, on apps like Blinkist or, or apps where you're sort of getting the, uh, you know, the shortened version of books? Do you, do you ever indulge in those? I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily have anything against them. But again, it kind of comes down to why are you reading them? If you're reading them to solve a specific problem, Blinkist is not going to solve the problem for you most likely because it is somebody else who has read that book and they've interpreted the facts presented by the author to solve their problem. So you're kind of another level removed from what impact the book could have on you, in my opinion. I also kind of related topic, don't like audiobooks generally. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because audio, you can put on and you can tune out and you come back two minutes later and you have no idea what was even said. And yeah, I guess that can happen when you're reading too, but it's a lot harder when you're forcing your eyes to go across words on a page. Whereas like podcasts, for example, I love podcasts, but I consider them entertainment. I'll put them on when I'm traveling in the car or whatever. And I'm not going to worry about what John Syracuse on the XML Tech Podcast is, is saying specifically regarding the amount of RAM and the new MacBook Pros. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm listening to it because it's fun. I'm not trying to remember that fact for later. I'm not going to pull up my phone in the middle of a podcast and create a mind, mind node file. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, just going to listen to it. So there are some <laughs> audiobooks, like biographies I think are great for that. Uh, Creativity Inc. is one of the books that I listened to and I loved it. There's a lot of stories in, in there, but it's not like, okay, these are the things that you need to apply to your life that's going to change things for the, for the better. Um, but when it comes to specifically like the, the self-help type books, like you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not reading it for yourself. And it's okay to say, like I said, you know, it's okay to say this book isn't for me. I don't like this author's style. I don't like the material, whatever. Life's too short to read a bad book. 
go find something else that you want to read. But uh, by using a service like Blinkist, you, you get a bunch of like surface level dots, but the ones that really impact me are the, are the ones like I may read a 200 page book and there's one or two things that really impact me, but those one or two things I may establish new habits and that's going to really, that's going to really impact me going forward. Like one of the books that we read, I picked up this idea. It wasn't even the main point of a life theme. Okay. And so I created my own life theme. I'm like, that's a great idea. I need a life theme. And my life theme is to inspire, teach, uh, inspire, encourage, and teach people to connect to their calling, discover their destiny and live a life they were created for. Okay. That provides motivation for everything that I do every single day. And it was one passing comment in one book that there's no way I would have got that if I would have used something like Blinkist. That's a great example. And, and I agree with you hundred percent. See, for myself, at least I've noticed that, uh, part of what allows me to retain the information in the book is just the amount of time that I spent in it. You know, it's the, it's the commitment to the long haul of finishing the whole thing that makes it actually stick so that I can retain the information as opposed to the blankets. I tried to read that book influence uh, by Robert uh, Caldini uh, yep. over blankest. It was like in one ear out the other, you know, I, I couldn't retain it for the life of me. It wasn't until I sat down and went through the whole thing. It took me a couple of weeks, but now it's like, you know, very much sort of like ingrained in my subconscious, I feel. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great example of reading to solve a, a problem, I think, because when I read that book, I loved it, but I read it because I was trying to figure out what were the, the, the forces that were driving the marketing efforts that we were, we were using at Asian Deficiency at the time. So I was eating that book up when I read it, but if I just picked it up off the bookshelf and I'm like, well, you know, inspire me, Robert, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah. have had the, wouldn't have had the, the same, same result. So there are books that maybe you don't like, but you can tell they're good for you. It's kind of like eating your vegetables, <laughs> you know? Yes. And yeah. so when I say, you know, life's too short to read a, a bad book, there is that important distinction to be made. It's like, if you know, this book has what you need, you can put up with some of the junk to, to tease out the stuff that's really gonna, gonna impact you. Um, but other times you can tell it's just, no, this one's just not worth it. But if you don't have that approach of, I'm going to read this book for this reason, it's a lot easier to just say, nope, not for me. And I think that's a mistake too. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned, you know, really like the first self-help book you read was getting things done. Uh, and that you read, you know, you're able to read essentially a book a week and maybe every other week you're doing the self-help books. What, what are you reading in the meantime? And how did you pivot towards reading things that weren't just self-help? Because I noticed that self-help is sort of like an entryway into this habit, but then people might have a hard time finding other books that are in different genres that, you know, they could also enjoy. Yeah. Well, to be honest, most of the books that I read for gap books are going to be productivity self-help books too, just because I really enjoy those. Yeah. I know a lot of people who read fiction books or historical books or biographies or whatever in between. And that is completely fine. But the thing that just scratches the itch for me are these, these different ideas in the, the productivity space. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's because uh, one of the books that really inspired me was Austin Kleon, Steal Like an Artist. And he has this idea in there of connecting dots in ways that have not been connected before. So Anybody who has a natural creative bent to them has probably hit a wall. Like I, I'm a musician. I, I play guitar and I sing on the worship team at our church. Uh, I also like to write songs, but there was a period of, of my life where I got really, really discouraged because I was write a song 
And then I would hear on the radio, the chord progression that I quote unquote ripped off when Mm. I wrote the song or the melody that it was inspired by. And I was like, man, I just can't create anything. (laughs) All I can do is steal it. (laughs) All I'm doing is ripping these people off. And then Austin Kleon wrote that book and I read that and it basically gave me liberty because he says like the more dots that you that you connect, basically the bigger, the toolbox you've got to work with. And so when you think about creativity as being the ability to connect these dots in ways that they haven't been connected before, the more dots that you, you put into your, your, your sphere, uh, the more dots that you, you have to work with, it's almost like whatever comes out is the natural result of the system. It's almost like an algorithm and there's really nothing you can do about it. You don't have to judge the results as either good or bad. It's just like, well, this is what it, this is what it is. This is the culmination of all of my experiences, all of my knowledge, all of my learning up until this point. And so if I don't like the result, then I got to get better dots. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I think that's really huge, honestly. Uh, Cause I mean, any book you read, it's that author just connected a bunch of dots. They made a compelling argument or, or some sort of, you know, gave you a bunch of information that all flowed in one direction. It's all that yep. anybody is doing creatively. Great example of that, by the way, is uh, as we're recording this, there's a newer book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. So if people are, if people are, are, have any knowledge of the topic of habits, it probably goes back to Jar- Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit. The, the yellow one with the red like mouse wheel. <laughs> I'm glad you pronounced his last name because I'm reading his new book right now and I have no idea how to pronounce it. <laughs> well, maybe I pronounced it wrong. I don't know. I don't really get caught up on that. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but in that book, uh, he puts forth the three basic steps, the key routine reward, which you, if you're familiar with the concept of habits in the productivity space, you have heard that model before. Okay, so James Clear he has a four-step model. So he inserts one additional step and he takes Charles's model and he basically says, he evaluates it for himself and he's like, this is where this breaks down for me and then this is my hypothesis on how to take this to level two. And I think that that's great. Yeah, <laughs> That's really what we all should be doing with the, the knowledge that we collect, whether it be in a classroom or a video course or a book that we're reading is we shouldn't just accept it as like, this is gospel truth. This person's smarter than me and I just have to accept what they said. But take the ideas there, evaluate them for yourself, test them for yourself, figure out where things fall down and then figure out new mental models, um, a better way of doing things. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned, you know, being able to, uh, you know, use a book to apply that information, you know, to your life to solve a problem. Uh, I can imagine, you know, reading all these productivity books, self-help books, that you probably come across a lot of information that you don't have an immediate application for. What do you do with that? <laughs> well, if you've got a mind note file, you can always go back to it later. <laughs> True. Yeah. No, there's some stuff. Uh, and I'm sure if I were to go back and reread some of the books that I have read, the mind map files that I had created would be insufficient. There would be things that I'd be like, oh my gosh, how could I have missed that? Mm-hmm. Um, but there will always be that. And so being okay with the fact that you didn't get everything out of that book the one time that you, you read it, and that's okay, just moving forward. What's, the, what's best next? What's the thing that I should be doing or focusing on right now? Um, that would be one, one piece of it, is not really being concerned about looking back and, and looking at all of the, the failures and the missed opportunities, but just looking forward on what's the next 
thing that I should be doing? What's the next step in, in my own personal success journey? Um, but also I do think there is value in having a historical record that you can go back and look at with those mind map files. That's a big reason why I do those is I want to be able to go back and remember when we read this book, what was I thinking? What was I feeling? And then maybe even how has that changed? What are the action items that I applied? Am I still doing those things? If I'm not still doing those things, is that okay? Or is that something that I've fallen off the wagon and I should really be looking at revisiting? I think a lot of people view the productivity space and maybe business too as once you solve a problem, it is solved and you move on to the next thing. But success is never a straight journey. You're all over the place and you're going to fall, you're going to fail. And that's okay. Just constantly go back and ask, what are the things that I should start doing? What are the things that I should stop doing? And what are the things that I should keep doing? And if you ask yourself even those three, just those three questions and give your brain enough time to unravel those things, especially if you're connecting enough dots, the, the answers kind of be, become clear. I love that. I think that uh, I'm guilty of that all the time. You know, you find that, uh, you know, you might've stopped doing something that you should have kept doing and you're like, where, where did I fall off here? Uh, and then, you know, usually I'm able to remember after I've, you know, maybe reread a book after a long time of, of having not read it. Uh, how long do you normally wait or, you know, how long in between, you know, maybe the first time you read a book to the next time that you revisited it? Good question. Uh, it's going to depend on the, the book. There are some books that I want to go back and, and reread frequently. Essentialism by Greg McKeown is one of those. I tend to have too many ideas to execute on them. <laughs> so I am definitely susceptible to doing too much. And that's a big mistake and something that is easy to fall into, I feel, in the productivity space, especially when you've got people like Gary V and Grant Cardone, you know, hashtag hustle, which by the way, I wrote a book called thou shall hustle, but I have a little bit different approach to it. Um, I actually break hustle down into a couple different components. So the definition I like is to force, to move ceremoniously or, or to force to move hurriedly or unceremoniously in a specified direction. And I feel like you can break that down to three parts. You've got the actual work, the force, and then you've got the purpose, the direction, uh, which interestingly is unceremoniously. So it's not about hashtag hustle and posting it on social media so everybody can see how early you got up or how much you're doing. Uh, but ultimately, the specified direction, that's the vision where you want to end up. And you really got to work backwards if you want to be effective. So you can be working really hard. You can be putting in a ton of hours and you could just be spinning your wheels or even worse, going in the wrong direction. You know, mm -hmm. So you have to work backwards. What does designing the life you want to live and then how, what are the things that you have to do that are going to get you there? And then how do you make that daily habits? Little things, you know, eliminate the, the friction that it takes to, to get started. Um, but effectiveness is way more important, I think, than efficiency. You can improve your efficiency and you can crank out more widgets, but maybe there's no need for widgets. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Have you, I, I didn't see it on your list, but have you read The Effective Executive? By Peter Drucker? No, I've heard a lot about it. I've heard a lot about it recently. It's going to end up on the list for sure shortly. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear your take on that one. I, I started listening to uh, your podcast on The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And that to me is like one of the books that I constantly have to revisit because it's like a shot in the arm, you know, you're, it's, like yep. a, it's like an energy blast. Uh, 
I'm curious, are you going to dive into his other books as well? The sort of the follow-ups of that? The, of Drucker? Uh, of the, of Stephen Pressfield's, uh, you know, he's got like, I've got a, I've got a couple of them. Um, I'm not sure. So the process for selecting books for bookworm is uh, very unscientific. <laughs> it's basically whatever Joe or I want to read. <laughs> we take turns mm-hmm. picking books. We do have now a discourse forum because Joe is a discourse expert, a certified discourse expert. <laughs> uh, so there's the, the bookworm club, which is actually where we got connected. And uh, there's a mechanism in there where people can vote for books. And the last several books that I've selected have been ones that have received a high number of votes in the, the bookworm club. So part of that, it, I view that as a, as a healthy way of pushing me outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> I was going to say, that'd be really hard to, to do. I couldn't imagine if other people were voting on what book I had to read next. Oh my God. Man, we are about to record tomorrow one that I am not looking forward to. Uh, just because it's a really tough topic, uh, being mortal by Atul Gawande. It's basically about dealing with death. And that is a very sensitive subject to say the least, but we're going to do it. (laughs) So um, I would say, I don't know, I don't know where Effective Executive or any of other Stephen Pressfield books would, would fall on the the outline. We tend to go into, you know, we're recording tomorrow. I'll go into the the bookroom club and see where things are at before I select my next book that we're going to, going to cover. But if you do want us to cover that one, go in there and vote for it. <laughs> I'm gonna now. I'm really. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I I love that idea. I'm not sure I could I could uh, elect to do that myself. Maybe, maybe in a couple of years of podcast, I'll be you know going out pushing the comfort zone more. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, I mean, I don't want to take up too much of your time today, but what other uh, are there any sort of like asks or requests you have for the audience, or any any you know you'd like to offer them before we wrap it up? Uh, I would say, I mean, the, the podcast is Knowledge Without College, right? So that's right. I would say the formal education that you can get is going to have, is going to mean less and less going forward. Um, we are entering a, a state in our society where that idea of being so good they can't ignore you is going to be more and more important. Cal Newport kind of talks about it in, in Deep Work. The people who are going to be really successful in the new economy are the, the people who are the very best at, at what they can do, the people who uh, have a lot of money, and the people who can work intelligently with complex machines. And I would even say just systems. You know, so you can't just walk into a bunch of money, but you can become so good at something that people can't ignore you. And you can learn to think about things with a growth mindset and learn to pull different levers and figure out what works, figure out what doesn't. And that's going to have phenomenal value going forward. Uh, the best thing you can do, going back to that Jim Rohn thing, is work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Uh, I've learned that with, with Asian efficiency. I was not looking to leave the company, but here I am, and I got to figure stuff out. Fortunately, I was pedaling before the hill, and I developed my skills and my confidence to the point where I can do this new thing, and I know that I can do this new thing. But if I just found myself in that situation and I didn't have the knowledge, I didn't have the skills that I have, how things would be different, man. You know, like I think that's where a lot of people can kind of fall into the victim thinking mentality. Well, it's not fair. This shouldn't, this shouldn't have happened to me. Well, don't put all your faith in this, in that system. <laughs> yeah. know, take control right now and decide your own course. Don't wait for somebody else to open the door for you. Develop your skills to the point where the door is going to open because there needs to be more space. There's got to be more capacity to 
hold the skills that you, you have. Does that make sense? It's almost yeah. like if you're, if you're the biggest person in the room, you got to change your room. Like eventually that if you keep developing your own skills, your room is going to change for you. You're going to find yourself in that place with the people that like myself was co-hosting with David Sparks. Like I never would have pictured myself there, but if I just keep getting better, better, better at podcasting, eventually like that's the kind of thing that that can happen. And it's not crazy. It's, but it's, it's also like one small step consistently taken that's gotten me to that point. So it's not something that you do every once in a while. It's something that you do every day. It's, it's, an, it's, it's an intentionality mindset that I'm going to grow. I'm going to improve. I'm going to become the best version of myself. And I'm, going to pull all those, and I'm going to pull others up along the way. I should add that too. Because I think that when it comes to purpose specifically, uh, the best thing, the thing that brings the most purpose is not achieving success for yourself, but achieving success as a team. And, and I, I really just believe like, if you step on people on the way up, like that's going to come back and, and haunt you. So the best thing you can do is not only one, like become the best version of yourself that you can, but as much as you can, because there's always going to be people who are not as far on their journey as you are. There's going to be things that you have that other people need. So be willing to give that out, be willing to give it yourself and it's going to come back to you a hundredfold. I love that. And I think that's really phenomenal advice, especially, you know, coming from, you know, seeing what you're doing, you know, like just reading books, adding value to yourself, uh, you know, paving, you know, the path farther than, than you're able to get to before, you know, doing things that you might not have imagined yourself being able to do before just by sort of building that value and, and helping bring people with you. I think it's really awesome. I love the work that you're doing. Looking forward to seeing more of it. Look forward to voting on some books on your, on your site there to, to <laughs> get your opinions on it. And, uh, and yeah, th- thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.